Hi, and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. My guest today is a very special guest uh, who also happens to be my sister-in-law, Beth uh, Thomas, is a GP and she specialises in women's health. Uh, she's also upskilling in the area of menopause and menopause support. So she's very kindly given up her evening to come and have a chat to us today. Welcome along, Beth. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Menopause is quite topical right now. I think a lot of people have seen the Channel 4 documentary with Davina McCall. And certainly there have been quite a few books come out on this topic in the last 12 months uh, with more still to come. What's your sort of point of view from the sort of, you know, the other side of the, the doctor's desk, as it were? You've talked about the fact that you're you're upskilling. How is it for you in terms of sort of how easy is it for you to to get that kind of additional specialist education on a topic like this it's there if if you want it absolutely I mean I think it's fantastic that there is so much more in the mainstream media um, and people like Meg Matthews are talking about menopause and I think it's great that it is becoming something that that so many more women and men are aware of that's only a good thing the interesting thing about when I qualified as a doctor, which was back in 2000, it was the year after the big Women's Health Initiative paper came out, which made the press at the time, which was really kind of put the nail in the coffin for HRT for about 15 years. So when mm. I started as a doctor, pretty much HRT was stopped. No one prescribed it for a while. So I think there's this generation of doctors that are now in their 40s that really didn't grow up prescribing HRT. And we're all now a lot of us GPs are women in our 40s and we're developing that interest in HRT. So there's absolutely courses and modules and ways to upskill as a doctor in HRT available. And I think more and more um, GPs are developing that interest and finding ways to upskill themselves in it because the demand from patients is there. And rightly so, you know, we need to be able to provide women with this service. It's so important. Anecdotally, there are a lot of stories of, of women who, you know, have been along to their GP and talk to them about the sort of the symptoms that they're experiencing and have either been sort of fobbed off or have been sent off with antidepressants and you know basically that seems to be you know off you go you'll you manage with that what advice would you have to somebody who is perhaps in that situation or and or what advice would you give to somebody who is kind of psyching themselves up perhaps to go in and and see their GP how to get the most out of that and how I guess yeah how how to make sure that they they can advocate for themselves mm -hmm. and get that message across clearly and, and you know come out with the treatment that they need Hmm. Well, first thing I say, I, I, I'm really sorry that there are women that have had that happen to them. And that's that's really disappointing. And hopefully going forward, as more and more GPs get upskilled, that will happen less. But that you're right. I mean, there are cases of that happening. What I would suggest um, first to empower women is it's important that they access information that's readily available before they see their GP and I think the websites that I particularly recommend I'm sure most women have heard of so Louise Newsom's Menopause Doctor website is fantastic as is the British Menopause Society website as is one called Menopause Matters so I think knowledge is power and I think the more women know before they talk to the GP the, the stronger a position they're going to be in I would say that it's very likely that in most GP practices now there will be a GP that has an interest in women's health so 
I would love to say that every GP out there knows everything about HRT and will absolutely give you the right treatment, but I would be lying. I think the numbers are improving and I think they'll continue to improve. But of course, it's about finding the right GP. So I would say that when you you know, speak to your friends, speak to the other mums, who have they seen to get the HRT? Who have they talked about the menopause? Ask the receptionist who in the practice does the family planning. It's likely that the, the GP that fits the coils and the implants, like myself, is also the GP that's probably got more of an interest in menopause. The other really good way, if women are nervous about approaching the GP or don't know how to ask for it, then most GP surgeries now will have online consultations, which will be, a, you go onto their website, it's called eConsult. I think it's a requirement by NHS England. And if you put into that, look, these are the symptoms I'm getting, you know, could this be perimenopausal symptoms? Is it possible to have a conversation about my options with, with, a, with a doctor? That will, that will get looked at by the surgery and that will get given to the most appropriate doctor. So that's another really good way of trying to target the correct doctor. For the consultation, you've got an appointment and you think, right, how, how am I going to talk to them about this? I, I, I'm, I think this is menopausal symptoms. Could it be that I'm anxious? Could it be that it's something else? A really helpful thing that women can do before they come to the consultation is do something called the green climateric scale. So it's a little checklist that you can download off the internet easily and it just it runs through a lot of the common symptoms of the menopause and I think if you have ticked off a lot of those symptoms and you go into the GP and you say look I I know I've got this really overwhelming anxiety I've never suffered with anxiety before you know could this be the fact Mm. that I'm 48 what do you think about that could I be perimenopausal and yeah so I would say get yourself read up and there's so much sources out there on the internet and try and find the right GP in the practice to approach and there will be someone at least one person in every practice that will be more confident in menopause and if people do feel like they've had a less than optimal experience with one doctor presumably they can ask to see somebody else within the practice if they feel they're not yeah not getting the answers I mean the NHS is there for the patients you know you are entitled to see any doctor that you want within the practice and if you don't feel happy with the outcome of a consultation then it's per- you're perfectly within your right to book in to see another doctor and have the same consultation with a different doctor I mean we don't as as GPs we don't have any offense with that the doctor-patient relationship is so important and it works both ways and you have to have confidence in the doctor and you have to have that be able to build that relationship and that rapport and you as you know, with how we meet work colleagues, meet people in the streets, that doesn't that doesn't happen with everyone. So, yes, you absolutely need to find the doctor that you trust. And if they say, look, actually, this is not an area that I'm particularly confident in, I'll pass you on to my colleague, that's fine. But I would hope, and I'd be pretty confident that most doctors now are relative com- confident in how to A, diagnose that a woman might be menopausal and B, start HRT if that's, if that's what the patient wants. But us, we as your GPs, we're here for you. You know, it's your body. It's, it's your. It's, it, it, yeah. We're here you to help yourself you. You know yourself, and when things aren't right. Absolutely. So some of we you've already mentioned anxiety, and obviously some of the other symptoms, like for example, joint pain or you know fatigue, low mood. Those kind of things may you know may may have other causes. 
I suppose. Mm -hmm. So is it, from your point of view, is it easier to be sort of definitive if you have that presenting in conjunction with another symptom i mean mm. obviously the sort of you know the, the vasomotor symptoms the hot flushes are the you know the ones that most people are most familiar with as a sort of you know stereotypical menopausal symptom but if you're not you know if you're not exhibiting that as a symptom is it a lot harder to be definitive about saying yes i think this is what it is i think hrt could work for you um it, it it can sometimes be tricky, but normally not. I mean, you're right. The vasomotor symptoms, if I've got a lady that's coming in with the hot flushes, the sweats, it's great, easy peasy. But that's only 75% of women will experience vasomotor symptoms. And so if someone comes in with mainly with um, cognitive symptoms, who may, and, and I think anxiety is much more common than low mood with perimenopausal symptoms. So anxiety, sort of 90% of women going through the perimenopausal area will often have periods of anxiety. Really? That um, high? And, yeah, it can be that it's that wow. high on some studies. Not not so much that it's pathological, but that, that that just that churning feeling of nervousness or just feeling less confident that in at times than maybe you were mm. previously. It's important that you try and tease out is this menopausal as and not missing another underlying disorder. It is if a lady comes into me who has never suffered with a mental health problem before, and for the first time in their life, they are at the age of 46, 47, it's most likely it's going to be menopausal, hormonal related, as opposed to pathological cause. In terms of treating, giving someone HRT for six weeks and seeing if that helps is a reasonable thing to do, even if you are not completely certain that you've got the diagnosis right. So sometimes you can just say, well, let's look at it. could be that this is anxiety and depression and actually an antidepressant may be the better thing for you. Or this could be that this is your low estrogen and we need to just top up your hormones. And it's a, something that you would maybe talk to the patient by saying, well, what, what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to try? Well, nothing's fixed in stone. We can try the HRT and let's review it in six weeks. And if, and if that doesn't help, then maybe we've, we're barking up the wrong tree. At that stage as well, if, 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 if it doesn't work, you know, you might want to dig a bit deeper. And that's when you think about doing blood tests or when a woman comes in first off, if, if there's something in what they're describing that makes me just a bit more concerned that there's something else going on. Could this be an underlying autoimmune condition? Might they be anemic? Is there something else that makes me worried that their fatigue is not just perimenopausal? But a lot of the time, it's a case of, well, let's just try the HRT and see. That's, I think, really helpful to know, you know, as a kind of reassuring to people to think, well, it, it's not necessarily all or nothing. I can, can try this and see if it helps. And then, as you say, sort of reassess, whereas it can feel, I think, quite like quite a big step to say, I'm going on to HRT and, you know, that's it for sort of a couple of years or whatever. But Yeah, and yeah, that's I absolutely think... not the case i mean of course if it if it works and you and it helps then of course women are going to you know we'd encourage women to stay on it for a little while but if it's not helpful you don't need to stay on it and what are the the sort of the different options in terms of because there are there are several types of hrt that that can be taken Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that yeah so um you can take hrt as tablets as patches as a gel and there is a spray that's newly available on the market as well so when we're talking about hormone replacement therapy we're talking about two hormones that we give back so what happens in the menopause is that your estrogen level falls off a cliff and that, uh, 
I mean, the difference between menopause and perimenopausal is academic. Menopause, you can only diagnose retrospectively. So it's once you've been 12 months with no period. So it's, you know, people, women say to me, but but I've still got my periods. How can I be menopausal? The whole, the whole time that your ovaries are packing up is about four to seven years. So that's the sort of length of time that you're still having periods. I, I'm not, I'm not, int- I'm not worried about whether women are having periods or not. I'm worried about what symptoms they're having. So their estrogen is falling off a cliff and that is what's giving you all the symptoms. So when we give HRT, we have to give estrogen back and we can give that as a tablet, a patch, a gel or a spray. If we give women with a womb estrogen on its own, one of the problems is that it causes thickening of the womb and increases the risk of womb cancer. So we can't do that. So if you haven't had a hysterectomy, then we also need to give you the hormone progesterone. And that is to keep the lining of the womb a bit thinner and to prevent against womb cancer. Progesterone can be given either in the patch or it can be given as a tablet or it can be given as the marina coil. GPs that are into HRT absolutely love the marina coil. The reason that we love it is it can be used for contraception and HRT. So it's the only thing that can be used for both. When I prescribe a woman an HRT, uh, I try very hard not to prescribe estrogen as tablets unless a woman's really keen to have it that way. The reason being that there is a blood clot risk associated with HRT, but only if you give the estrogen in the tablet form. So the absolute gold standard way to prescribe HRT is a marina coil, which is your progesterone protecting your womb and also giving you contraception because you mustn't forget about contraception. Um, And then the estrogen as a gel or a patch. If you don't want the coil or you can't face that or you're waiting four months to have it put in, which is also the problem at the moment, then you can have the estrogen as a gel or a patch and you can take micronized progesterone tablet. You can take a progesterone tablet um, and that is the body identical way of prescribing HRT. And if you take the progesterone as a tablet, that, that doesn't have the blood clot risk associated with it. So estrogen as a gel or a patch and the progesterone bit as a coil or a tablet is how I would recommend it. And you mentioned body identical, mm-hmm. or was it bioidentical? I still get them mixed up. So maybe you can talk a bit about the difference between between the two, because I think it's quite it is tricky confusing. for people to get to kind of wrap their head around the, the sort of the difference. Yeah. On the NHS, we prescribe something called body identical HRT. So we're trying to prescribe HRT that's most similar to the synthetic to to the naturally occurring estrogen and progesterone that we're given and and that's called body identical so you're replacing like for like bioidentical hrt is something that some non-nhs and private menopause clinics are using and promoting and i understand that they are derived from plant extracts and they're often given in unregulated ways so they are often given that women have their estrogen levels checked and they're they're given there's a very tailored approach to individual women there is a lot of concern in the nhs about these bioidentical prescribing because there's a concern that they are not they're getting very high levels of estrogen and not enough progesterone to protect them from womb cancer so it's not a regulated way of giving hrt but if you have body identical with this type of progesterone that's called micronized progesterone then you're getting pretty much the same as your body is naturally producing you know there's lots of private menopause doctors out there who also work in the nhs and they are excellent and they can give women that time but to get your prescription i, I would say that you want to try and get your hrt on the nhs because you you know that the costs of that do add up and i think 
uh, as you you alluded to um, to this sort of the earlier to the study that was happened in I think two thousand. A lot of people's concerns are around the the breast cancer risk. So could you talk a little bit more about that and why or whether it should be a concern for people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean that was uh, um, really as I said put people off HRT prescribing. There is definitely a increased risk of breast cancer associated with HRT, but everything is about risk and benefit. And the reason that we think HRT is a risk is that estrogen you know, causes activity within the breast. So if you can imagine that when you're having cell turnover in the breast, that the estrogen acts on it and, and kind of kicks them back into action. And that's potentially why you can then get a small cancer forming. There is some evidence actually coming out now that HRT may not cause breast cancer, but may accelerate its presentation, that you were always going to get the breast cancer, you just get it earlier because of HRT. Having said that, when I counsel women about breast cancer risk, I say, look, there is a risk. And there was also another study uh, that came out last year in the middle of lockdown that also hit the mainstream media about HRT and breast cancer. So the latest figures are that if you look at women between sort of 50 and 55, 63 women out of every thousand, if you've got no one on HRT, will get breast cancer in a five-year period. So no one's on HRT. Out of a thousand women, 63 will get breast cancer. If of those women on HRT, you're going to have an extra 14 women getting breast cancer. So if going from 63 out of a thousand to 77 out of a thousand women. So yes, your risk is increased. Having said that, your risk of HRT causing breast cancer is far lower. And I think Davina absolutely showed this brilliantly on her documentary. is far lower than if you drink more than 14 units a week, if you're obese, if you don't exercise. So yes, there is a risk. But I think that the risk can be mitigated by other lifestyle measures. And really, we take risks with every medication that we take and with everything we do. So it's about choice, isn't it? It's about risk versus benefit. And for some women, a lot of women suffering with menopausal symptoms, it is an incredibly difficult period of time. I mean, it really affects life. There's huge numbers of women that end up having to take time off work because of their menopause, because they can't function. And obviously, there are long-term benefits from HRT in terms of protecting your bones, preventing osteoporosis. There's some evidence that maybe it prevent, helps prevent colorectal cancer and possibly even dementia. So, yeah, I ha when I counsel women, absolutely, I counsel them about the risk, but it's risk-benefit. And how long do women tend to stay on HRT. So NICE, which is our sort of regulatory body, have just changed the guidelines from HRT to, to say there's no upper length that women need to stay on it for. You can stay on it forever if you need to once you go on it. Having said that, I mean, the average, as I said before, menopause tends to last on average four to seven years. So I would be thinking, saying to women that that's probably the length of time that we're going to top up your estrogen level for. So certainly I would not be wanting to bring women off it for in less than two years, but at about five years, I'd be saying to them, you know, what do you want to do about your HRT now? Is that something that you want to reduce? It's really important to say that if you go through an early menopause, so if you're going through the menopause, particularly before the age of 45, that none of the risks of breast cancer 
um, kick in until you're on it after the age of 50. So it's really important that you do take the HRT until you're at least 50. And that's very important to women that have had hysterectomies under the age of 50. They need that estrogen. They need that bone protection. And there you're only giving back what you should naturally be having anyway. So there's not the other risks associated with it. So if you let's let's say you take HRT for that for that five year window and then you stop, presumably any sort of protective effect in terms of osteoporosis or dementia, does that then just stop when you stop taking the HRT? No, we think that's probably longer that we think that probably stays with you because you have continue to build up your bones or you've slowed your bone density loss for another five years and so you've kind of got that extra five years always so um, and then and it doesn't then speed up to catch up the bone loss you gained an extra five years before you started losing it so so you take that protective effect with you and presumably then if you know you've got a sort of a family history of osteoporosis or dementia that would you would potentially talk to to women about that and sort of weigh that in in the decision and sort of saying you know that potentially they get that benefit absolutely I think if there's a family history of osteoporosis that would be something I'd be really strongly encouraging women to consider HRT and certainly someone that's got a history of osteoporosis and they're they're, they're going through the menopause slightly younger then they really should be on HRT as I said the dementia the evidence for dementia there is some evidence it's protective. It's it's less strong. So, you know, that would be gain more of a risk benefit. But there's very, very good strong evidence for our HRT being pre- protective for osteoporosis. And do you ever sort of advise women in that kind of coming to you in that age group to get to have like a DEXA scan or something to look for osteoporosis? I don't know. Is it is it only kind of something that tends to be diagnosed if they have a break? Again, again, I think osteoporosis is something that we are getting better at managing as GPs. I think what you're describing is how we used to do it, that you waited till someone had their hip fracture and then you thought about osteoporosis and it's a little bit like stable door and horse bolting by then. So we are being more proactive about calculating people's overall risk. And that's something that women can calculate for themselves with something called a FRAX score, F-R-A-X score. You can Google that and you can put in your age and your weight and whether you've got family history and have you been on steroids. And that will give you an indication of whether you're low, intermediate or high risk. And if you're higher risk, then, yeah, I would be talking to women about whether they should be going for a DEXA scan in their 40s. The other um, hormone that we haven't really talked about is testosterone, which is something that, uh, again, you know, probably a lot of women are surprised that they uh, they have testosterone circulating around in their bodies. Can you talk about how you would potentially prescribe that? Because it's not necessarily part of that sort of routine prescribing for HRT, but it, some GPs will prescribe yeah. it. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and hopefully more and more will prescribe it. So, yes, we, we women do um, have quite a lot of testosterone. We produce 50 percent of our testosterone in our ovaries and 50 percent in our adrenal glands. So it's not quite as a dramatic a drop off as with the estrogen when we think we pretty much lose all our estrogen because we're still naturally producing some testosterone from our adrenal glands. Testosterone, the things that you would notice really if your testosterone was low is is low libido and, and it can affect mood. And so if a woman comes to me and libido is that overwhelming symptom, the most important thing is to get their estrogen levels 
top up their estrogen level. So you would still always go for HRT first of all. But if they came to me and it'd been six, nine months and actually their hot flushes had settled, their joint pains were better, they were feeling great, but there was still just nothing. There was no <laughs> get up and happening. go there at all. <laughs> nothing happening there at all. Then it might be something that we think about testing for and prescribing now it's given as a gel so it's the same gel that men on testosterone replacement get and you just give them a tiny bit so a, a, a sort of a tenth of a dose that a man would get daily it's off license for women in this country at the moment there is a a, a, a testosterone produced in australia specifically for women so i suspect that's going to change here soon and there will be a licensed testosterone for women but it is off license so i would say that most gps probably don't prescribe testosterone but it's certainly something that you should be talking to your GP about if you've got that ongoing just absolute lack of libido because that would be the stage that I would be thinking of checking it and if it was low getting some advice from my local gynecologist menopause clinic about whether or not I should be starting this lady on testosterone as well as their HRT so you you give it as well as HRT. So you would absolutely you would be testing it first before prescribing whereas I think for yeah. for the main standard HRT the the guidelines are that you don't necessarily do sort of hormone testing if somebody is over 45 is that right that's absolutely right so when we are checking blood tests people say check my hormones it's like, well, what are we checking checking someone's estrogen level is pretty unhelpful because the oestrogen, and I wish that I could be showing you this visually, your oestrogen level <laughs> is zigzagging all over the place. So a one-off oestrogen level is totally unhelpful. It'd be different from nine in one morning to nine the next morning to nine that night. When we are checking someone's hormone levels in women, we're checking for a a, something called um, FSH, which is a hormone produced by the brain that tells the ovaries to work. So when someone's been through their menopause, their brain has chucked out loads of this hormone called FSH because it's saying, come on, ovaries, One get last going, <laughs> come on, let's kickstart you into action. So you can see that this level goes really high. There is no advantage to checking that in a woman over 45. We know it's going to be high. And if we do check it, we might just happen to get it on a day that was a bit low. It's not going to change what we do. In younger women under 45, it can be helpful. And certainly under age 40, because you've got to remember that 1% of women have premature ovarian insufficiency. That's what we call it, not premature menopause. So that's 1% of women under 40 will have that. And so we would certainly want to check it in that group of women. So under 45, we do a blood test. Over 45, you don't need blood tests to prescribe HRT. We know what's going on. Thank you so much. I think we've had a kind of a, a real whirlwind uh, half an hour. We've covered an awful lot. I'm really grateful to you for, for giving up some of your Wednesday afternoon. And um, yeah, it's just been such fun chatting to you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.